If you manage a business and you want to get into something new, there's more than one way to do it. You can acquire a new business that's already up and running, or you can grow from the inside out. Two giants of the digital economy, Amazon and Alphabet, provide a dramatic study in contrasts. That's according to Professor Marvin Lieberman at the UCLA Anderson School of Management. He and his colleague Gwen Lee of the University of Florida studied the digital giants and the different ways they've chosen to accomplish their massive expansions. Hello again, I'm Armin Alney, and this is How the World Works, a podcast of UCLA Anderson. Marvin Lieberman, welcome aboard. Great to be here, Warren. All right. So we're talking about two of the most dominant companies in the world, $3 trillion in combined market capitalization. And what you asked was whether either Alphabet or Amazon provides a roadmap for how a successful tech disruptor goes on to become a giant. What did you find? Well, we found that they grow both from the inside out, as you indicated, what I would call internal development, and they also grow through acquisition. But the way that those two companies use internal development and acquisition turns out to be very different. Amazon looks a lot like many other companies that we've studied in the past. They use internal development for most of their growth. In fact, Amazon is pretty remarkable for a company that's so big that it continues to innovate internally and generate new businesses internally, especially those that are close to the existing businesses. And it uses acquisition to fill gaps. So most recently, they acquired MGM Studios, which uh, filled a gap in their film library. Many years ago, they made other acquisitions really at the beginning of their acquisition spree to get robotics technology that they needed to run their distribution system. And they also filled some gaps in their product capabilities. They acquired Zappos. As most people know, they were having trouble in the shoe market relative to Zappos, and they decided to acquire Zappos. They did the same for a retailer that was very successful in selling disposable diapers. In the case of Amazon, we see mostly growth close to the existing businesses through internal development, basically Amazon doing internal innovation, essentially, with a few acquisitions to fill gaps. And then Amazon has made a number of really dramatic acquisitions to expand out from its base. I think Whole Foods was the first one that was particularly well known. It's done some others recently, uh, acquired one medical in the healthcare space, in the process of acquiring iRobot. It acquired Zooks, an autonomous vehicle company, PillPack, a pharmacy company, it acquired Ring, a home security company, and so on. So it's mostly used these acquisitions, often big acquisitions, kind of dramatic, to expand its scope well beyond where it used to be. Some of those have been more successful than others, but this is a, a pattern that we found to be fairly typical of most companies. So they get into businesses that are different from the core business that they started out with. Right. Amazon really has had a bias towards internal development. They only have used acquisition when they have not been able to do things internally. And that is when there's been some persistent gap in their product line or their capabilities that they've needed to fill or even 
Geographically, they've made some acquisitions around the world to get into some new markets. But their big acquisitions, ones that are probably best known, are these dramatic acquisitions that expand the scope of the company. So that's the pretty common pattern. Gwen Lee and I did a previous study based on really hundreds of companies. We essentially found that pattern. We established that pattern. We were invited to write this paper to extend what we did before. As I said, what we found with Amazon is that Amazon looks a lot like the other companies that were in our previous sample. Although, of course, Amazon is, is much bigger, it's partly digital and bricks and mortar. And what surprised us was that Alphabet, formerly Google, also has used acquisition and internal development, but in a completely different way. Alphabet has entered most of its core business through acquisition. Of course, the original search engine was done through internal development. They made an acquisition of a company in Los Angeles in the advertising space that helped them technologically there. And, and that really, I think, was very successful and set a pattern where they realized that they could do these acquisitions. And they've acquired a lot of other things, other companies, not only in advertising, but in these other major businesses that they've entered. Of course, YouTube was a, was an acquisition, and then they acquired other firms around it. Google Maps was an acquisition that kind of shows a pattern that Google Alphabet has pursued, which is not just to acquire a single company, but to acquire a few companies all together and put their capabilities, you know, their technology together along with internal technology and people that, that Google has had and, and to create a whole new business, mostly through the acquired companies, but also through some of the internal businesses. My colleague at UCLA, Anderson, George Geis, has actually written an entire book about Google's acquisition. So anyone who's interested in understanding this distinctive acquisition pattern in more detail than what we provide in our paper can take a look at George Geis's book. So the pattern at Google, you know, basically the digital part of Alphabet has been by and large to put together acquisitions often simultaneously to get into robotics. They acquired a dozen companies all at the same time. In many cases, they've been extraordinarily successful through this acquisition strategy to grow their core business. And their rate of acquisition has been about three times what you see at Amazon and about three times what you see at Alphabet. Now, I would have to say that a lot of the companies they're acquiring are smaller, so it doesn't mean that the total amount that Google has spent on acquisition is three times greater, but there's a really heavy emphasis on acquisition to grow the core business at Google, kind of a bias towards acquisition, which differs from Amazon's bias towards internal development. The really interesting element about Alphabet is that even though the company has used acquisition very heavily to grow the core business, Alphabet has chosen to grow almost all of those internally. So it's kind of backwards of the normal pattern that we see in most companies. But Alphabet's success suggests that uh, there's really no single one right way to use acquisition and internal development. It really depends on the firm and how it evolves. And I think in the case of Google, they develop an ability to combine all these acquisitions with their internal capabilities. It's a formula that's worked very well for the company. 
So they both use both strategies, both internal development and acquisition, but in different ways. Exactly. I mean, the emphasis has been very different in the two companies. I mean, with Google, of course, being quite distinctive, I don't know of another company that has been able to do quite that sort of thing. What Google does, uh, it probably depends on the fact that they are so digital. The technology is digital, so it's much more fungible. People can cooperate from a distance. You can combine you know, different intellectual property together more easily than you could combine together a lot of physical things. How does either one of them function in terms of their geographical headquarters and how much business actually goes on there to govern their worldwide operations? Good question. Now, I have not interviewed executives at Amazon or Google Alphabet, so I can't directly answer that question. Amazon is, in fact, a company that is, I mean, it gives a lot of autonomy to people. Certainly in their internal development activities, Amazon is not, it's not a really rigidly, tightly controlled firm. There are, there are often multiple groups who are trying to do very similar things. And it's in some ways kind of a messy process. I, I do know some people who work there, including my former colleague, Phil Leslie, who used to be a, on the faculty at UCLA Anderson. You know, the Amazon culture is really quite distinctive and unusual for a large firm. I mean, normally firms get big and they try to control everything from the center. As I said, ultimately, you know, acquisitions need to be approved at the center, but Amazon, you know, lets a lot of experimentation go on in internal development. And I'm sure a lot of these discussions about acquisition must be less central than what would be the case in most companies. I guess one way to answer your question is if we think about the reorganization of Google. Google, before it became Alphabet, Alphabet is a holding company, and the biggest holding within Alphabet is Google. So Alphabet now has this structure where you have Google as the biggest, but it's actually organizationally co-equal with, I think, many of the moonshot businesses, if you look at the organizational structure. So do these distinctions between Amazon as the developer internally and Google as the one that relies more on acquisitions, do they kind of break down? Do they both do similar things, but to different extents and in different ways? Yeah. I mean, if you think about their business domains, I mean, there are overlaps, of course, between Amazon and Google. But if you look at the core businesses of Google, which are, you know, search, advertising, Gmail, Maps, Android, YouTube, Google Play, Chrome, Google Drive, Google Photos, Google Cloud. These are all digital. Google, the main core part of Alphabet, in fact, generates the earnings mostly through advertising. These are all digital businesses. And so there's, there's a lot of interconnection there of, of various types. Most of these are on the web. And I think that makes Google's business rather different from Amazon's, given that the final customer-facing part of Amazon, most of those businesses have some kind of physical component. You know, Amazon Web Services would be a purely digital part of Amazon. And to be fair, in Amazon Web Services, they've done Google-type acquisitions. For example, in, in artificial intelligence, they've done multiple acquisitions and combined some of these businesses together and so on. So I, I, I do think that the ability of Google to do what it does to enter all these new businesses through acquisition 
a lot of that depends on the fact that they're digital businesses. From the outside, it appears that Amazon deals more with product and Google makes more money from advertising and digital activity, although they're both digital companies. Right. Amazon at this point is actually making most of its earnings through its digital part, the Amazon Web Services, where it competes with not only Google, but also Microsoft. I should mention perhaps Amazon Web Services, this business that now has been so successful for Amazon, was developed through internal development. Amazon basically had these capabilities that it was using for its own businesses and then started selling them outside. You say that filling in holes is exploitation. Entering new fields is exploration. How do you back up that distinction? What does that mean? The introductory of the paper and kind of the conceptual framework builds on an idea that a very famous business scholar, Jim March, had that businesses really to survive long term need to do both exploration and exploitation. Now, I think the exploration part is most apparent. Let's say that the core business of a firm gets challenged. Maybe the world changes in some way. So to survive long term, the firm needs to find new things to do. So that's exploration. And we see it, you know, all these examples that I've provided, the moonshots are certainly <laughs> exploration at Google, but even their entry into a lot of the other digital businesses, I would call exploration. Now, what is exploitation? That, you know, that sounds pretty bad, like somebody's being taken advantage of. But Jim March's meaning for exploitation was that you have an existing set of businesses that have been successful, but to survive, you need to continue to make them better. You know, there's always competition out there. Unless you improve your existing businesses, somebody's going to overtake you. And so the acquisitions that are, as I described it, gap filling, you know, getting the robotics acquisition, Kiva systems at Amazon, for example, that's just to make the existing business at Amazon better. We call that exploitation. Their move into groceries, healthcare, and so on. You know, this exploration, exploitation is just a kind of a broad conceptual way to think about what a firm needs to do to survive. It needs to continually improve what it's already doing. And that's the exploitation and acquisitions can conserve that. And then it needs to explore. And that can also be done through internal development. And Amazon has been able to explore a lot using internally developed businesses. But the acquisitions do tend to be a way to really move quickly beyond what you currently do. Uh, you point out that the world is changing uh, constantly. And of course, uh, adaptability is what really matters the most. Is either strategy inherently more adaptable than the other, or do you have to do both? Right. You really have to do both. If a company is lucky enough that the world doesn't change, so it can stay in its existing business or set of businesses for a long, long time, then it doesn't need to explore. You know, it doesn't need to do anything new. It just has to presumably get better at it, what it does because someone's going to threaten that business. But most firms need to move on to something new. Now, if a firm tries to jump too quickly to new things uh, without defending its existing set of businesses, it will also most likely fail. I mean, the cash cow that supports the business overall is usually the set of core existing businesses. And unless you continually, quote, exploit those by improving them through acquisitions or 
various things you would do internally, you're going to lose out to competitors. So the argument is that you, you need to do some balance between the two, and most firms need to do some of both. Certainly, Google, Alphabet, and Amazon are doing both of them, and they're doing it in different ways, certainly through a different balance between acquisition and internal development, or at least a different way in which they apply acquisition and internal development. What about these strategies that lead to monopoly in both the United States and in Europe? Is that going to come back to Burnham? We've ended up with these big dominant companies. The question is, what if you broke them up? You, you could constrain certain practices, for example, without breaking them up. And we'll probably see some rulings like that. I mean, maybe Google would restricted from signing these contracts, you know, that make them the default search engine. How do we think about, you know, the value of, of companies? I always tell people, well, let's think about what would happen if some firm disappeared overnight, like Google. If Google disappeared, at least on the search engine side, I think Microsoft would get to be quite good quite fast. And we actually wouldn't miss Google all that much. How would the world be different if we you know, broke them up? Or you know, what if they just disappeared, which is a way to think about the value creation that they, they have. There are a lot of benefits that they brought. In Google's case, bringing all these little companies together. The fact that Google is buying up all these little tech companies means that you know, there's still a robust environment for people to start companies. You know, by and large, big companies grow through acquisitions and they acquire startups. I think Amazon is, is quite remarkable and still looking a lot like a, an entrepreneurial startup, despite its age and size. Any final comment you'd like to make to summarize all that you've said, which is fascinating from the very beginning? We were ourselves fascinated to see you know, this contrast between these two companies. As somebody told us, we have an existence proof that there's no single right way to do things. I guess the next step that I'd love to see someone explore would be to see, is Alphabet Google unique, or do we find other companies like it out there? To what extent the Alphabet Google strategy, is this a general one that other firms might pursue, or is it really one that just works in this special context because of the history and culture and management of Alphabet? Alphabet Google is very distinctive, and it would be useful to know more about whether other companies can do this. And if so, how would they want to tweak the Alphabet Google strategy to work in the context of their business? Well, I hope you get a chance to uh, look for the next step. Uh, Marvin Lieberman of UCLA Anderson, thanks so much for telling us about how these two very dominant forces in the digital economy went about getting so much bigger than anybody else and how they're continuing to do so. <laughs> thank you so much. Okay, thank you very much for having me. Okay, this has been How the World Works, a podcast from UCLA Anderson. I'm Warren Alney. Thanks for listening. Join us again.